I'm going to change horses right here. Put this up. Everybody happy tonight? How many of you love the Word of God? How many of you hunger for the Word of God? Do you hunger to know the Word of God, to understand the Word of God? I tell you, I just cannot. There are times I wish that I was a computer and I could put a floppy in here and just program my mind with the information that I want of the Word without having to read it. Because reading is too slow sometimes. I love the Word. And we're going to look at the Word tonight. We're going to, as a matter of fact, by the way, we're going to be four tonight and three weeks after this on Genesis, then we're done. And I'm taking requests. Where do you want to go? What do you want me to teach after this? And I will pray over all of them and I will do what the Holy Ghost tells me to do. But I want to know what you're thinking what you want to be taught about, what you have confusion about, or wish you had more understanding of. And uh, I'll uh, pray over every request, and we'll look at them in the days to come. And so tonight, in three more weeks, I'm going to deal with the four top uh, personalities in the latter part of the book of Genesis, and then we're going to be done. One person a night. So keep that in mind, and let's stand together. Amen, amen, amen. Genesis 12. And we're just going to read the first few verses because this is a a watershed um, chapter. It's a dividing chapter. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram departed. And we'll stop right there. Because he departed, we're standing where we are tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Bless our hearts to it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated, and I'm going to just throw this up here. Real quick little bit of recapping, because I want to be sure that we end this class in the next few weeks with a, with a good understanding of the overall bigger picture of Genesis. So here it is. Leading up to last week, we had covered the four major events of chapters 1 through 11. Let's say the four major events together, can we? The creation, the fall of man, the flood... And the Babel crisis. I want to do one little aside just for a moment. I read, just before I walked out, I looked at the news on my little Yahoo news page. And, and there I saw that a school board that had been for teaching intelligent design. Isn't that what they're calling it? Fancy way or a chicken way of saying God. That this school board of nine people who had been for teaching intelligent design in their school, were thrown out. And they were thrown out, and a whole new school board replaced them. Because those who threw them out said, we want to teach science in school, not religion. You know, I'm going to take a night, and I may take it when I close Genesis. I'm going to take a night, and I'm I'm going to, I believe, cast total doubt on the foolishness of evolution. Darwinian evolution 
is a joke. And it's easy to know. It's not hard to know. You don't have to be brilliant to know. It's easy to see. And how they can say, and you got to forgive me, this stirred me up a little bit. I, I shouldn't have looked at it right before I walked out. But for them to say we want to teach science as if, as if that teaching, Darwinian evolution, is accurate science and we don't want to teach religion is a joke. Because Darwinian evolution is at best a theory and it's a theory full of holes. Full of big holes that if you're intellectually honest, you cannot subscribe. You can't to Darwinian evolution. Can't do it. It's a lie. It's one of the biggest lies to ever be perpetrated on a culture in the history of the world. And so, having said that, maybe after I'm done with this, I'll take one night and we'll just... Listen, here's what Darwinian evolution does. It doesn't prove that, that man came from monkeys. It turns men into monkeys. That's what it does. All right, now, I had to get that out. Because the creation, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then the fall of man, and now the third one, the flood, and the fourth one, the Babel crisis. Those are the four major epical events transpiring in ancient history, and they happen in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Now, we've also extensively focused on Genesis 3.15. This is a huge verse, so I want us to read it out loud together again, can we? I, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now say with me, God had a plan. There at the beginning of the human race, when man fell, and sin and death were passed on to the whole human race, God had a plan. And the reason I keep bringing this verse up is because this is the first as I said below, this is the first biblical prediction of the coming Messiah who was destined to deal a death blow to Satan, the serpent. Now, I want to bring it out again tonight because in Genesis 12, God is beginning to work out his plan by calling a man. So that's why Genesis 12 is a watershed chapter. But now, as we approach Genesis 12, we have come to the patriarchal age. This time period focuses on four outstanding persons. Who are they, everybody? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Those are the four leading characters of Genesis, the patriarchal age. As Genesis is, is the book of beginnings, Genesis 12 marks the beginning of God's plan of salvation coming to fruition with the call of Abram, later named Abraham. Abram, the son of Terah, and who is he the distant grandson of? Shem, one of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Terah, Abram's daddy, was a great, 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 great grandson of Shem. So Abram is in Shem's lineage. Real important. Abram was selected to be the founder of a new nation and the one through whom the promise of the gospel might be conducted forward 
to its ultimate realization in the manifestation of the woman's seed, Jesus Christ. God made a covenant with Abraham, known as the Abrahamic covenant. We're already familiar with the term covenant to the extent that we speak freely of the what kind? The Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Testament or the New Covenant. A testament is a covenant. Francis R. Steele in the Biblical Expositor expresses this well. Here's what he says. Since a testament is a covenant, a contract of special promise, the Old Testament by its very title reveals a God who is ready to make a vital contract with men. God's ready to make a contract with you and me. God is a contractual God. Amen? In the unfolding of the covenants, which we're going to look at in just a moment, we find the unfolding of God's promises that reveal his perfect plan and purpose for us. You can look at his covenants and learn a lot about his plan just by looking at his covenants. They present us with binding agreements carrying with them the force and power of his kingdom. God stands behind his word to perform it. He stands behind his covenants to perform them. Now, the Bible contains seven covenants, I believe. And I think this is completely sound. Most most commentators believe this. The Bible contains seven covenants. Let's look at them just real quickly. I'm going to scan most of them except for the Abrahamic. The Edenic covenant is the first one. The Edenic covenant, it's in Genesis 1.26. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, what did he say? Be fruitful, number one, and two, multiply, and number three, replenish the earth, and number four, subdue it, and number five, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know, I was talking today to a young man, um, who has a real struggle with uh, cocaine. He's not here. I wouldn't, he's not around, but I'm, he called me. He's having a real struggle with cocaine. And I got to thinking about drugs and, I, and this covenant, because the, the Edenic covenant, here, here's what it said, and then let me just comment on that. Simply, they were given an earth that was empty of their kind and told to fill it. In their commission, God told them to subdue. Now, who's supposed to do the subduing? We are. Now, there she is. Hey, Katie, come up here. No, please come up here. Give her a hand, everybody. I'm glad she came anyway. (laughs) All right. Now, watch this. We're supposed to do the subduing. We are not supposed to be the subdued. Now, now, he says, I give you dominion over all of my creation. Now, isn't it interesting how Satan has twisted it? Satan has twisted it this way. If you're hooked on cocaine, you're hooked on a plant. If you're hooked on cigarettes, you're hooked on a plant. If you're hooked on alcohol, you're hooked on a plant. If you're a weed toker, you're letting a plant Subdue you, a weed. And I thought, you know, leave it to the devil 
to totally reverse the blessing of God and the command of God, where instead of us being the subduers, we have become the subdued. And so, you know, if I was trying to get off, say if I was trying to quit smoking, that's one thing I would latch on to. God never meant for a weed to control me. He meant for me to subdue it. So I have within me the Spirit of God, which is the subduer. Come on, everybody. Because this is, this is what it meant. By, that's part of the Edenic covenant. The Edenic covenant was God gave you the power to subdue his creation. And then I, here at the end, thus we see the primary purpose for mankind, both man and woman, besides populating the earth, was governmental. We weren't to be the governed. We were to be the governors of the creation. Now, the next covenant was the Adamic covenant. Genesis 3, 14 to 17, and the one we just read. The Adamic covenant was God's covenant. I'm going to send a redeemer. That's my covenant. I'm going to send a redeemer. I'm cutting that covenant with you. You can bank on it. You can live by it. You can die by it. You can stand on it. I'm going to send a redeemer, and that's called the Adamic covenant. Now, the third one was the Noahic, Noahic covenant. Genesis 9, 11, what did God covenant? What did he say? Let's read it together. I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall be any more be a flood to destroy the earth. That's my covenant. You've got my guarantee. There may be floods, but there will never be a flood that covers the earth ever again. I'm cutting a covenant. That's my covenant. And the sign of the covenant was what in the, in the sky? The rainbow. That was the sign of the covenant. So God's a covenant-cutting God. God is a covenant-cutting God. All right, now the fourth one we're going to come to at the bottom, the Abrahamic covenant. And these are in the uh, chronology in which they were given to us. The fifth one is the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant was brought in because of mankind's departure from God into sin. God made it with Moses, and it spreads through the greater part of Exodus and Leviticus. It finds its summary in what we call the Ten Commandments. It's capsulized in the Ten Commandments. Recorded uh, first in Exodus 21 to 17. After Moses had written all the words of the Lord to be included in it, he observed a sacrifice of blood, teaching us that when God cuts a covenant, the shedding of blood is always there. Shedding of blood is always there. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people with a lighthearted commitment. They said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. To dedicate them, Moses took what, everybody? The blood from the sacrifice and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, let's read it together, it's powerful. Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Now there we see way back then, God was pointing to his pattern all the way to the Edenic covenant and forward. Every covenant, there was the shedding of blood somewhere. Now here, it's very clear. Behold the blood of the covenant. And what was God doing? He was, he was teaching a people. When I cut a covenant, there's the shedding of blood. When I cut covenant, there's shedding of blood. When I make a covenant with you, there's the shedding of blood. And he was pointing down the tunnel of time. Why do you think John the Baptist called Jesus a lamb? Behold the 
Lamb of God. Right there. And these Jewish people who heard that knew immediately what he was saying. He's going to be, he's going to spill his blood so that we can have the new covenant. All right? So, there's the Mosaic covenant. Now the Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel 7, 10 and 16. This came in a prophetic word from the prophet Nathan when David, as king, supposed he should build a house for the Lord. This was so the Ark of the Covenant might no longer remain under curtains. It was a seemingly noble aspiration in which Nathan encouraged David. He said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But on departing, the heavy hand of the Lord came upon the prophet. God commanded him to take another word to David, not born out of his own soul, nor confirming the ambition of David's soul. But this time, what he spoke was born of the Holy Spirit, which means we can speak well to somebody and really want something for somebody, and it can come out of a good heart, but not the heart of God. In this word was the promise regarding David's seed. We find the initial wording of the covenant into which God entered with David in 2 Samuel 7. It finds enlargement through several of David's psalms and becomes the basis for much of the message of the prophets. Then it carries us into the new covenant to introduce us to the Lord Jesus as who? The son of David. Significantly, Paul's first statement about him and his epistles, about Jesus and his epistles, is that he was made of what, everybody? Of the seed of David according to the flesh. And as though wrapping everything up, the concluding statement about him in the New Testament, born in his own words, is, I am the root and the offspring of David. That's what Jesus said about himself. I am the root and offspring of David. Now that doesn't really cover anything like we could on the Davidic covenant, but I want you to see that that was another covenant there in the Old Testament that we need to look at. But now we come to the one where we're most, uh, well, almost. Let's look at the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31. This is where it's first mentioned. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now he goes on to say, here's what I'm going to do in that new covenant. I'm going to put my law and my word in your heart. I'm going to change you on the inside. My word, my law is going to be in your heart heart. If you read Jeremiah, uh, this, these verses right, right in that particular chapter and other places, you find that the new covenant was prophesied to be a covenant where God would change the heart, that he would write his law on our hearts. And so he was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit into our hearts, and he was called the new covenant. In the new covenant, here's just a few things we discover. A new creature, a new creation in which all things are become, what, everybody? New. And then out of Jews and Gentiles, we discover one new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then we are brought to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. So we're in the new and the final covenant that God cut with man. And it's written in the blood of his only begotten son. Amen. So now we come to the one that we want to really look at tonight, uh, the Abrahamic covenant. 
of first note is the requirement placed on the man Abram, later to be called Abraham, that he become separated from his kindred. So singular and significant was God's call on him that he must not be left entangled with ties that would hinder God's purpose. I'm going to tell you, when the call of God comes upon you, when God calls you, there is always going to be a level of separation. You're always going to experience the Holy Spirit saying to you, come apart. Not snooty-nosed, not better than you, not uppity, not arrogantly, not condescending. But God will remove you from anything that could distract you from your calling, defile you in your calling, anything that could hinder his purpose for you. So there is a so when Abram was called, he was called out that he might be called in. Real important, the Abrahamic covenant. Let me look at the call of Abraham now, or the call of Abram. Abram experienced a series of successive theophanies. Say that word with me, would you? Theophanies. Turn to your neighbor and say, that sounds important. (laughs) All right? Now, or divine manifestations around which the events of his life rotated. Uh, You know what? You guys have had theophanies. Because here's what it is. You take the first, uh, the, the prefix of the word, theo, theo, it comes from, that means, that's from the Greek theos, God. Phanes comes from phanes. The Greek word means to appear or to bring to light. You put it together and it means when God appears or God brings something to light. You wouldn't be here tonight if you hadn't had a theophany. You had a theophany. When you said, I'm a sinner. I come to you, Lord, and I repent. And you had communication with God, and he communicated with you. That's God bringing something to light. I hope there's a mini theophany going on here tonight. And God's bringing some things to light. But here's how it happened to Abraham. When he was Abram, Acts 7-2 tells us that uh, when he was in Ur of the Chaldees, God appeared to him and said, come out, leave your family, leave, your blo- leave everything, come out and follow me to a land that I will show you. Then he had another theophany in Genesis 12-7 at Moray, Moray in Canaan. Genesis 13, you can write these verses down and go look it up. God appeared to him over and over and over again at different times in his life at different key moments in his journey. Genesis 15 at Mamre, Genesis 22 at Moriah. Now watch this. In all of these visits, God made it crystal clear that he was promising Abram three things. Say them with me. Land, offspring, and blessing. Take note of the eight points of this divine statement, seven of which come forth as promises in which the Lord later will call a covenant. So here is the Abrahamic covenant. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, One, get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I want you to say with me, I've got to obey God to discover his purpose. This is the only thing in the Abrahamic covenant God tells him to do. Once he did it, God said, I'm going to do the the next seven things I'm going to do if you do just one. 
you got to come out and follow me. And then I'm going to do these seven things. And it's my covenant with you. The Abrahamic covenant. So here they are. Number two, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. Number four, I will make your name great. And number five, and you will be a blessing. And number six, I will bless them that bless you. And number seven, I will curse him that curses you. Number eight, and in you, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. How many of you would walk out if you had those things promised to you? I take just, I'm going to bless you. I'd go right then. I'm going to bless you. That's all I want to hear. But God was very specific in the Abrahamic covenant. Watch this now. So he tells them, your nation is, a nation is going to come out of you and it's going to be great. That means numerically, that means influentially, and that means spiritually. What nation came out of him? You can say it. It starts with a J. The people. Jew. Thank you. Jew, 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 Jew. Sounds like, no. All right. Jewish people. Yeah. Great nation. And numerically, have they been influential? Oh. All right. Now, B, I'm going to bless you. That, and here's what God meant. With offspring, with wealth, and the biggie, justification by faith. Look at Galatians 3, 8, and 9. It says, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, the scripture predicting that the day would come that God justified all people by faith, not works, but faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith, say, that's me. Are you of faith? Have you got faith in God tonight? So this is you. So then, those who are of faith, say it, are blessed with believing Abraham. He's the one that did it first. He was the first one to be declared righteous by faith. Now, we're all of faith. And those of us who are of faith are blessed with Abraham. We're not under the curse. We're under blessing. So we ought to expect to be blessed. Come on, everybody. All right. Because we're just reading the covenant. Now, the third one, I will make your name great. Well, is Abraham's name great? You, you can't be a believer one hour without learning about Abraham. Billions and billions of people through the ages have immediately learned about Abraham. His name is great. You will be a blessing. Is he a blessing? Since we've been declared blessed because we are of faith, then was he a blessing to us? The father of our faith? Mm-hmm. Now, E and F, those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. Now, watch this. If those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham, And the the primary blessing being, you're justified. You're justified. Just as if you never did it. Justified. 
But now, if we're lumped in there with Abraham, if somebody comes against the church, they come against God. That's why I fear for America right now. Because there is, there is red-hot persecution against Christianity in America right now. And look, if we're blessed with believing Abraham... And God told Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Then here's what I wrote. God regards the friends or enemies of Abraham as his own friends or enemies. I'd rather go up against 50,000 devils than God. So you got to be careful who you bless, who you curse. I tell you. I don't understand how we're so worried about the rights of prisoners who are trying to slaughter us. And yet, Christians all over the world are being martyred, and we don't lift a finger for them. But I'll tell you who will. God. Because there it is. There it is. You're looking right at it. This is not Jeff. This is the word. Now, G, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. This was realized through Jesus Christ, the seed of of Abraham, because Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, and Abraham was the beginning of the working out of God's plan to bring forth a people, and then a nation, and then a lineage through which Christ would come. So when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, Genesis 3.15. When Jesus lifted up his face and said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he gave up the ghost and died. Genesis 3.15. Right then, Satan had a death wound placed on his head. And when Jesus rose from the dead, hell had a coronary. Now, if I were to sum up Abraham's faith walk, I thought about this. If I were to sum it up with one thing, This is what I think we can learn from Abraham before we go on to Isaac next week. I say that it was his willingness to trust God with uncertain outcomes. You know, folks, um, if you walk by faith, here's the thing about faith, what I noticed about Abraham. Here's one of the things that made his faith amazing. God said, leave your home, leave your family, leave your familiar surroundings, and just start walking. He said, to a land I will show you. So you know what? Every day Abraham got up with uncertain outcomes. You talk about somebody that had a trust in the providence of God, the sovereignty of God to order his steps. He just kind of got aimed in the right direction and started walking. We know he had to cross the Euphrates River. We know that he crossed about 400 miles of wilderness and desert and land and of all different sorts and kinds. We know that the, the man just started walking. Now, remember, there was no Bible. He couldn't open up to Ephesians or Psalms 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death. David hadn't been yet. He was a pioneer's pioneer. He he couldn't open up the word of God for comfort because there wasn't one. Moses was hundreds of years away. There wasn't any word. He just had a theophany. 
God just appeared to him, spoke to him. Now you think you're not going to get a couple hundred miles away from home walking with camels, children, no, no children, but you know, some of his servants had children, and a and, and, and bunch of animals, and you get out there, and, and don't you think that it hit him? You lost your marbles. Go back home, son. Go back home to Terra. Abram's faith said, I trust God with uncertain outcomes. If he had stopped at a, oh, a hitching post of some kind, and you'd been able to walk up to him and say, hey, where are you going? I don't know. Why are you going? Voice told me. Uh, what are you going to do when you get there? I don't know. How are you going to feed all these people and your, your animals? I don't know. How long are you going to be gone? I don't know. I mean, do you know what? Aside from knowing that he believed in God, he had one great big I don't know. Uncertain outcomes. And yet God, this is the way God deals with our faith. He does not show us the end from the beginning. He just says, trust me. Trust me. Just trust me. But Lord, I want to see. If you can see it, you don't need faith anymore. If you can see it, you don't need hope anymore. Faith and hope are given to you to carry you as long as you don't see. But I want to see. It may feel so much better if I can see just a little bit. Well, he might give you a little glimpse here and there, but primarily, I'm going to tell you what. When you finally do arrive, you didn't know the way everything was going to fall the way it did. You didn't know how everything was going to come down. Here's one great example. Well, I already shared one of them with you. Abraham did not know where his journey would take him. He didn't know. Then here's another one. He gets to part of the promised land, Canaan. He gets into a fight, a dispute with Lot. Abraham is gracious. They are so wealthy now. They have so much cattle, so many things that their servants are conflicting with each other. Tension is rising, and the house of Abraham is not a happy place. So here's what Abraham says to Lot. He says, listen, we need to call it a day and part ways to keep the peace. And Abraham said, let me tell you what, Lot. Now, now look at his faith level. He says, Lot, you pick, you just look out at this gorgeous land. Luscious, beautiful, breathtaking, Middle Eastern country. And Lot, you pick whatever you want. I'm just going to trust God with uncertain outcomes. Because, because God called Abram out, not Lot. I was just, Lot was just tagging along. So God calls Abram out and says, I'm going to give you land. Well, here's Abram looking at a lot of the land, and yet he has the trust and faith in God that God is big enough to even be in charge of Lot's decision. So what does Lot do? He look, looks at the lush green valley of Sodom. And he says, that's the choicest of the choice. And you know what? That boy took the best looking land that you could see from where they were. He took the best and he was a tag along. And you don't even find him saying, thanks, uncle. Thanks, uncle. He just goes and takes it. Abram ended up dwelling in, in the hillsides. 
and, and rougher country. He didn't have anything what Lot had for a little while. Please let there be no strife between you and me. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. I trust God with uncertain outcomes. Lot chose the luscious land that comprised Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. In just a few years, Abram was going down there to save that boy. And in just a few more years, Lot was fleeing for his life before fire came and burned the whole thing up. Here's one more example, and we're done. Abraham willingly offered Isaac, not knowing how God would work in the life of this child of promise. Only by the intervention of an angel did Abraham refrain from sacrificing his son. Now, now you got to just think a minute as we close. Uncertain outcomes. Hey, I can handle leaving the land a lot. I can handle just starting to walk and not knowing where I'm going. But laying my only begotten son down on an altar, sacrificing him to you. The Bible tells us in, the, I think, the book of Galatians that when Abraham, when the angel stopped him and Isaac sat up and his life was spared, Abraham received him back as if resurrected because it says, Paul tells us that Abraham believed if I kill him, God is able to raise him from the dead. But he didn't know. It was uncertain outcomes. Where do you need to believe God tonight when it's an uncertain outcome? In your money, in relationships, in your health, In what arena of life are you just having to look up and say, you know, by faith, I don't know the outcome. I don't see it. But I do know the one who does know. And I'm going to trust him with uncertain outcomes. Well, did God take care of Abraham? Oh, yes. Did God bless Abraham? Yes. Did everything turn out all right? Yes. Amen? All right, let's stand up together, can we? How many of you are glad that we're in a new covenant? We're in a covenant. A covenant. Next week we're going to look at Isaac. Don't miss that because I'm going to talk about all in the family again. Father, we just thank you for the testimony of Abraham. That he trusted you. With uncertain outcomes, not knowing where he was going, he went. Not knowing what land you would give him, he trusted you, would give him the land you wanted him to have, no matter what man did. And Lord, he trusted you with his most precious possession. He trusted you. And you blessed him. Help us, Lord, to walk by faith. And as descendants of Abraham's faith, help us, Lord God, to trust you with uncertain outcomes. In Jesus' name, amen. Kathy has an announcement quickly. Here we go.